0: We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, making peace by the blood of his cross. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you as Lord here this morning. Give us your Holy Spirit to illumine this, the very word of God to us, that we would be molded, that we would be welcomed, that we would be challenged, that we would be comforted, that we would be drawn near. Father, thank you that because Jesus is crucified and resurrected, you are pleased to meet us with grace, and for all that come in faith, we receive forgiveness and the very power of Almighty God in our lives. Do a powerful work. Here this morning, we pray through this ancient practice of the reading and preaching of your scriptures. We plead with you, be with us now. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. You may be seated. Well, I've learned from more than a couple of you that if you were watching online or here in the room a couple of weeks ago that I gave a scare. I used a little bit of rhetoric, and I said that here in my career as ministry, I've planted two churches so far, and I kind of don't want to plant any more churches. It's been great, but I just want to be a pastor now. Church planting's kind of crazy. Thank you, Lindbergh family, for doing it again. But then I said, by necessity, God is calling me to plant church number three, and apparently that scared some of you because you were worried that that was an emergency moving announcement. And I got permission from my kids, Micah and Jesse, to be able to say they were sitting about where Omari is when I was preaching that sermon. They looked at each other and gasped and had this moment of panic-stricken <laughs> uh, discombobulation on their faces saying like, hey, why wouldn't dad tell us first that we're, we're going on this, on this big move? So that was a false alarm, just using a little bit of rhetoric there that it was not a false alarm, had me thinking back to the time when I told my two boys that were much younger then, when we were ministering in Texas, that we were moving up here to plant Liberty Collingswood. And it went like this. So there's no right way to do it, but my wife Emily and I, we didn't tell our kids, and our two girls, Jesse and Claire, were very young at that time, got permission to tell the story too. So it didn't the girls were so young that we didn't think as much about how to Slow roll communicate with them, but with our two boys that were finishing kindergarten and second grade at the time, I said, Hey, we're not going to tell them about the move until it's actually happening. We don't want them to be on the roller coaster of will it, won't it sort of thing. So it was like a Wednesday night in maybe May that dinner table with the family told the boys, hey, mom and I are really excited about what's going to happen to our family. We are moving back up to the Philadelphia region, New Jersey side, which is the better, the only side that counts of the Philadelphia region, Liberty Mainline. And we are going to start a church there. And Emily and I loved our church in Texas, loved the people, but felt like this was God's call for us, the right move at the right time. And our excitement was not met by the other side of the table. In fact, there were tears. And not kind of quiet, whimpering tears, but angry, violent tears. And they litigated back to me why this was a horrible idea. I remember. I was told, tell them no. Tell them we're not going to do this. Dad, you often seem to make good decisions, but this is not one of them. Dad... This is the worst decision that you have ever made. And at one point when before I thought that I was going to be pastor, one of the careers in my mind that I tried on was lawyer. So they were litigating back to me. Dad, our friends are great. Our church is great. Our school is great. Why are we going to leave all of those things behind? And I got it and they had relationships that are dear to them, including now, they're in Texas. And I understood that they were leaving a lot behind and were going to the unknown. And I remember during that conversation, well, Dad, this church is great. Tell us about the church that we're going to. And I was like, well, about that, there's no church yet. And they were like, there's no church? What? This is the worst idea? I said, no, don't panic. There's... I understand that there's five or six people that may be interested in being part of our launch team. Five or six people, and it just went on from there. I understood the riled up feelings, but this is also what I told them during the conversation. But guys, we'll have Jesus. We're leaving a lot behind, but do you know what we'll still have when we move up there? We'll have Jesus. Jesus. And I get that for my kids in that moment, saying we'll have Jesus and not any of these other things that we had come to rely on, the singularity of Jesus in those moments must have seemed tragically, comically small. Just this one thing. Just this one person. But over the years, as we've come and planted Liberty Church Collingswood, Jesus has been enough. And I suspect that there may have been going on similar tensions here at the church in Colossae, a Greco-Roman town in what we call now Asia Minor. Paul is writing to them, and maybe they're wrestling with some of the same stuff. Jesus, Paul says, must be singular for you, the one main thing. And that must have seemed tragicomic to them as well. Because as any good Greco-Roman person at the time They would mix and match. There were different gods for different needs. I need a little bit of this. I need a little bit of that. If I want to be a modern person in the ancient world, I just take what works for me and I put it all together. Even philosophers and philosophies. So the ancient Greek gods were kind of going out of style in terms of being seen as real. But even somebody like Socrates in ancient Athens, who was killed for his radical philosophical ideas, overthrowing the system, the pantheon of the old gods, On the night that he was executed, drinking poison, he told his assistant, hey, before I go, go ahead and sacrifice a rooster to this goddess Gepalus because we've got to keep our bases covered with the ancient gods as well. Mixing and matching is what happens. Surely, Paul, as we learn more about this Jesus and this new thing, at the same time, we've got to keep our portfolio diversified, leaning on all of these different things. But Paul comes back in the verses that I read and said, let Jesus be singular because Jesus offers singular rescue, singular help, because he is the one and he is supreme. And I can imagine the hearers of this letter wondering, surely not. There's got to be more. Is this a good idea or not? What about for you or for me? Is Jesus enough? And so we admit in a context like ours, life is hard. And reflexively we'll think, I'll take all the help that I can get from anywhere. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's what I should do as a modern person. It just makes sense. It just feels right. And so whether for my body or for my mind or for my political self or for my vocational self, Or for my avocational self, what can I find and put together so that I can keep it together? Paul says, hold on a second. All of those things are fine. Our friends, our techniques, our podcasts, they're fine. But Jesus must be at the center of these things. Jesus must be the foundation. And let's admit again, whether we're not followers of Jesus or we are, for all of us, actually living out the proposition the proclamation the person that Jesus is enough that's really hard if you're here in the room or if you're watching online not yet a follower of Jesus i don't mean that as a criticism to you i don't mean it critically just definitionally if you are leaning on Jesus and trying to make Jesus enough in your life that means that you're becoming a christian but even for those that follow Jesus Jesus singularity being enough and necessary for every part of my scattered, crazy life, I'm not so sure. But Paul comes back and says, Jesus is singular because he is supreme. But we wonder, don't we? Is one thing, whatever it is, is one person, whoever it is, really enough? For my tears, for my anxieties, for my insecurities, for my tragedies, for my loneliness, is Jesus enough? And in this passage, Paul says yes, yes, this Jesus is enough. So let's talk about Jesus in two parts from here, from this passage in Colossians. We'll talk about Jesus being enough in his connection to creation. And then we'll talk about Jesus being enough and his connection to recreation. Jesus and creation, Jesus and recreation. So we are chugging along now in the early stages of our sermon series, assorted sermons from Paul this summer. The title of the sermon series is paul Peri. I'm not going to make a joke about that sermon title right now because I'm going to make a joke about it later in the service. So that's coming. You can be looking forward to that joke. But here we are in paul Peri. And I mentioned that as for me a somewhat seasoned reader of Paul's letters I love how we see Paul all inspired all word of God from his first letter to his last letter but we see sophistication develop over time and this is one of Paul's late, later letters to the Colossian church where we get the coffee bean fully and deeply roasted by the apostle Paul this is mature Paul and one of the key passages in all of his writings about who Jesus is. Why are we in the church all about Paul? Well, only because Paul himself is all about Jesus. And he unpacks the implications and the reality of who Jesus is here. The passage begins, He is the image of the invisible God the encapsulation, the representation, the embodiment of all that the living Lord is, the one true God. We can't see that invisible God, but if we see Jesus, including now by faith, you have God. As Jesus himself in John's gospel tells Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And Jesus is this image of the invisible God, verse 15, and also the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is supreme in all things. He is the principal and prince of creation. Jesus created all of this stuff, verse 16, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus has created it all. He is the locus, the location, the creative energy, the engine of all of this stuff. Again, the Gospel of John begins by the writer John saying about this Jesus, all things were made through him. And without him, not anything was made that was made. And if this is who Jesus is, that puts Jesus in a different category versus everything else and everyone else. And so again, we can think as modern people, let me know if you see that water bottle. We can think as modern people that here I am shopping in the marketplace of ideas and lots of different shelves, lots of different things. Oh, here's Jesus over here. I'll take some of that Jesus, and I'll keep tootling down the aisle. Don't go to Wegmans on Saturday. Keep tootling down the aisle, and then maybe over here, oh, here's some Eastern meditation. Here's some Western mindfulness. Here's my CrossFit class. Here's my cleansing rhythm, and I'm just going to put it all together so that I can have enough for myself. And I think Paul would come back and say, here's the thing. It's not just that we can pick Jesus off the shelf and mix it with all of these other things. Jesus made the shelf. He made and created all of this other stuff. Jesus is above these mixtures. Jesus is above the sentiment, well, I don't know about life, the universe, and everything, but this is true for me right now. Not only is Jesus true for you and true for me, he's true, and he's real, and he is above all of this other stuff. Jesus, as God himself, is our narrator, our narratizer of the stories of all of our world, including us, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, our past, our present. It's all Jesus. And we might think right now, well, I like Jesus in this, in this way. Jesus really got it. He understood what it is to live well under God. He had a lot of Of love for everybody. He seemed to be chill when things were blowing up around him. And he really had a lot of the divinity, a lot of God in him. And that's how I like Jesus. And that might seem like, okay, that's a wise and modern and hip take on Jesus. But congratulations, you're also an ancient heretic, if you think that. That's the Aryan heresy. That's Bishop of Arius that said, okay, Jesus is first among all created beings that had a lot more God in him than any of us have, but we can aspire up to that. The ancient church came back and said, that's pretty good, but that's not good enough because in Jesus, it's all of God, not just some of God. Come on down, Arius. That feeling that you get when you think you're Adam Sandler, but you're actually Bob Barker. The Bishop of Arius was that guy. I think about the Beatles, and I understand that the Beatles are not this young band. I don't want to sound like I'm saying there is this new boy band from Liverpool who's really connecting with and relating to the young people of today. Not quite true, but their song All You Need Is Love could be a slogan as good as any for this current period, right? All you need is love, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but the more you press into it on its own, It might be a little weak and not be able to follow through on what it promises. All you need is love. Love is all you need. What does that mean? Well, does that mean that if I have a romantic relationship and I'm feeling a lot of love in that moment, that's all I need? Well, if you've been in a romantic relationship and felt a lot of love in that relationship, that's great. But if you've been there, you'll also understand, this is great, but that's not all I need. I might need a little bit more. Or does that also mean that if I'm not feeling that love for a partner right now, then I don't have what I need, my life is horrible. I'm reading a couple of cultural histories of the 20th century right now. Think of it this way. When Nazi boots echoed through cobblestone squares in Poland during the invasion. When the sirens were sounded in Pearl Harbor as a Japanese attack. is all you need is love enough. As millions of Jewish people were escorted into concentration camps in Europe. As Japanese Americans on the West Coast were escorted into internment camps here. Is it true that all you need is love? The way that the gospel sees that echo and raises it, all you need is love, yes, and you are loved in Jesus. You are loved in Jesus. Let this be a deeper anchor as the storms of life come upon us. And so, whether Christian or non-Christian, I would encourage you to explore this Jesus and weigh this Jesus, whether for you this Jesus is actually enough, because as Paul says here, he is singularly supreme. Now, I was thinking this week, Jesus is probably, Jesus of Nazareth, an historical figure, is probably the most written about person in the history of the world. The most written about, the most considered, the most blessed, the most worshipped, probably the most cursed, the most confided in, the most riled up by, the most railed against. This Jesus. And if I were here talking to human being X, a person that I don't know, and human being X, whether from the north or from the south, east, west, all around the world. And this person would ask me, if there is one figure, past or present, that I should spend some time thinking about, what figure would that be? Arguably, whether you're a Christian or not, the top recommendation might be this Jesus. And think about the eternal logic. If Paul is right, If Paul speaks truth about Jesus here in Colossians chapter 1, that is huge. That means maybe this Jesus actually could be enough for us. Maybe I can depend upon this God because he is actually powerful enough. Who can I depend upon? Well, maybe I can depend upon the one about whom Paul writes, and he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. It's kind of like this. So you have two phones, two bad phones. One calls my cell phone. The other calls President Biden. People say that one of the things I like about my preaching is like true to life analogies. This is one of them. You have two bad phones at your house. Come on, you know it's true. One is to me and one is to President Biden. But when you're in trouble, who are you gonna call? When something is really going wrong in your life and you need all the resources that you can get You're welcome to call me, and if you're in a point of crisis, I'll say, all of the resources that I can generate and garner are for you right now. But wouldn't you rather hear that from the one that's so much more powerful, the president? All of my resources I give to you right now. In those moments, you're going to depend upon the one that's more powerful, won't you? And it is Jesus. And especially now in this moment, don't we long to be seen? Don't we long to be known? Don't we long to be held? If you take steps of faith to Jesus of Nazareth, you are known, you are seen, you are held by Almighty God. Because Paul says here in this passage, for in him, All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. A statement of Jesus' divinity, yes. And also, it seems that Paul is updating here an image from the Hebrew temple. The Holy Spirit of God filled the holy temple in Jerusalem. That was where the meeting of God was with humanity. Now, not a physical temple, but the temple of Jesus resurrected. And wherever Jesus is named and loved and believed in, that is where the Holy Spirit is. That's where you are filled and known and loved and seen and held. You see that image of God beginning in the passage? He is the image of the invisible God. That goes in two directions. On one hand, the fullness of the divine nature is seen and grasped and held by us. Jesus the Son visages God the Father to us. But we also see in Jesus the firstborn, the image of God. We glimpse that's what will be as we also are renewed in God's image. And T. Wright, a bishop in England and a scholar, has put it this way the ecclesia, the church, Messiah's body, is nothing short of a new version of the human race, which connects us and moves us forward. We'll talk more briefly at this point, connecting Jesus not only with creation, but also with new creation, with recreation. You may have noticed when I read through the passage the first time that Jesus is firstborn twice. Firstborn twice. He is the firstborn of all creation, verse 15, but also again in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Not going to talk about a whole lot that right now. Eric Mitchell is going to go into that image of the body, church as the body of Christ a little bit later when he lights his candle under his pot of the Paul Purie. There's a joke that I told you was coming about the sermon title. We're going to focus on the second part of the verse. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. If we were in home meeting season and doing sermon discussion, the question would be, how is it that Jesus as firstborn is a common denominator, the main correlating factor between God's first creation and his recreation, his redemption, what he's doing now? It's kind of like this. Jesus is king twice over. He is king by fact of nature and by right of passage. In his nature, in his person, As the image of the invisible God, Jesus is king. And again, through his resurrection, we crown him with many crowns as we've already sung. And Jesus, as the crucified Messiah, has subdued the old order of sin and death and the devil for us. And if Jesus is firstborn in this way, he is not the only born. Jesus, in resurrection and in recreation, has many brothers and sisters. And if you name Jesus as Lord, Jesus is your big brother. As you are part of the new humanity that Jesus is at work to renew, even now. And it's by grace. God is at work, Paul says in verse 20, to reconcile all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross because Jesus died and paid the penalty for your sin and my sin, this way of entering into the power and love of Jesus is a matter of grace. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, Jesus paid it all so that we can find forgiveness in him and renewal not only for us, but for the whole creation. One more quote from N.T. Wright here. What God did for Jesus at Easter and resurrection is what he will do for the whole creation in the end, releasing it from its bondage to decay to enjoy the freedom that comes when God's children are glorified. That's why Jesus is singular. And will Jesus be enough for you? As we go through our lives and shop down the aisles, what helps us right now? Will you recognize that while this is good and while that is good, and while there's plenty of good ingredients in our world, the foundation that we truly need is Jesus of Nazareth for all of it. What's blocking that for you? Where might you lean in more? Where might you take a first step of faith? Where do you need renewal now? You see, behind Every tear, behind every anxiety, behind every insecurity, behind every tragedy, behind every loneliness is this longing for redemption. I'm going to be gone here and there in July with a couple of different family trips. I went to Inkwood Books yesterday in Haddonfield to stock up on some good fiction. One of my favorite books that I read actually when I was transitioning up here was a book by Jennifer Egan named A Vision of the Goon Squad, where in that book, a person who is not of faith, and I don't believe the author is a person of faith, still is longing for redemption. Redemption, transformation. God, how she wanted these things. Every day, every minute, didn't everyone? And this is where we'll wrap up. One of the good, dear friends that I left behind when we moved up here from my previous church in Texas was a man who's probably in my top three or top five in terms of suffering, where this guy has had it really hard. He had multiple horrific injuries from horseback riding, because Texas, and a lot of botched surgeries. And so this guy was in permanent chronic pain that would only ever get worse. And I would check with him every month or two, and it was one of those conversations where there was part of me that didn't want to check in with him because every time when I'd say, hey, how are you doing? I knew the answer was gonna be bad. Aren't you intimidated sometimes to ask somebody how they're doing when you just know it's gonna be horrible? This was one of these guys to me. How are you doing bad? Oh, is that all? No, it's getting worse. The pain is more and more unbearable for me. It was multiple back breaks every day. But one of the things that he would tell me is, I can't wait to meet Jesus. That's what keeps me going. I can't wait to meet Jesus. When, for all of the pain that I have been in for so many years, this God that I have been praying to now, I'm going to see... And because of all of the back breaks, one of the most painful things for this person to be able to do was give hugs. Because you lean over a little bit, and if your back is fine, this little pitch of the back you don't even think about. But if you even tweak your back, that little pitch of the back electrifies your body with pain. So much more with broken titanium rods in one's back. He said, one day I'm going to hug Jesus. He's going to hug me back. There's going to be no more pain and I am ready. That's why I'm holding on. That's why I'm depending. And so in a similar way, is this singularly supreme Jesus enough for you? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey. Could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after-party, the post-sunday blues, a preaching postmortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon, live, speak, and serve at you later.